Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. Uh, my prayer is John 8, 31 and 32, that as we continue in your word, we would know freedom and that that freedom would become real in our life. And Father, my prayer this morning is that that uh, 2 Timothy three sixteen, your word would bring profit to everyone in the house. Lord, my prayer for me is Psalms 81, 10, that I would open my mouth wide and that you fill it with your words. Thank you, Colossians 4, 4. This morning, I speak clearly. I speak with clarity. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. How many of you have heard the term fake news? Is that new? Is that a new term to you? Our world is full of, of fake news now. And of course, our, our current president, I think, coined that phrase and made that at least very, very popular. And You know, you can put anything on social media today and it will spread like wildfire. And you don't know if it's true or not. And that happened just this week. There was a thing that went out on social media where the Pope supposedly said that there wasn't a real literal hell. And I don't know if the Pope actually said that or not. Uh, frankly, doesn't. Uh, affect me because I know there is and I believe there is but it was twisted possibly by the journalist and and this big story came out for one day the Pope says there's not a hell and then oop we sorry we took that back that's not actually what the Pope said have me know that is fake news and so you know I've got a few slides here that that Pastor Rick made for us what about this Jared pull up this this first slide are the Russians spying on us through the sun spear have me know is that fake news or is it legit did we really land on the moon? I mean, my dad has been to some places in the desert, and he says it looks just like the moon. So I, I don't fake news or not. What about the next one? Did the government actually pay to assassinate John F. Kennedy? Was that was that something that was set up by the government? Is that real, legitimate, or is it fake news? Is Peyton Manning going to be the next coach of the University of Tennessee? Probably not. Did aliens land in Blaine and do we have crop field? This is the kind of thing that you see on social media. This is, this is the kind of questions that we see out there. But ladies and gentlemen, there's one question that everyone in the room must answer. There's one question that you have to settle in your heart and this is the quick question. Is the resurrection a hoax or is it history? Because it affects everybody in the room. It, as a matter of fact, not only does it affect you today, but it affects your eternity. Is this resurrection a hoax or is it history? How do we know what's in the Bible is true? How do we know what happened so long ago? How do we know the events surrounding the resurrection are actually history and not just a hoax? Did the disciples actually come and steal the body? Did Jesus actually not really die and was he, was he just wounded a little bit and then he was able to escape or what's the story? If there was an empty tomb, is it history or is it a hoax? Now let me just tell you for just a minute that we have a very reliable source. You'll see this on the screen. We have a reliable source. If you would allow me the pleasure this morning just to talk to you about the Bible, God's Word. Now I know we have a lot of historical data. We have a lot of archaeological research. But when it comes to the Word of God, it's the best-selling book in history. Uh, kings and kingdoms and countries, entire uh, areas of people have tried to, to snuff out the Bible and to eliminate the Bible, but yet it still stands today. God's Word is a reliable source, unlike the fake news on Facebook. It was written over 1,500 years, 40-plus different authors. It was written on three different continents. It was written in many different languages, 
Many times this author did not know this author and they didn't have access to this author's writings, yet it remains consistent in harmony and message and content and thought from beginning to the end. We have a reliable source. Now, I, I didn't excel in uh, literature class, uh, in, in high school, in English class, as you can tell by the way that some of my words come out. Susan can tell. But we read about some of the great writings of of Aristotle and, and Plato, and, and some of you have heard those, and you've certainly uh, studied those in school. But let me just tell you this. Let me give you this little bit of information. The poetics from Aristotle that, that you've all heard of, they were written in the 4th century B.C. There are only five manuscripts of Aristotle's writings available today, and the copy that we have was written 1,400 years after the original. We have five manuscripts left, and the most recent one that they have, the the one that ties closest to the original is 1,400 years old. But yet no one questions that data. What about the writings of Plato? They were copied 1,200 years later, and we only have seven copies remaining of that. So what about the New Testament writings? There are 5,686 Greek manuscripts that date within 100 years of the original copy. Nearly 6,000 Original Greek manuscripts. There is a less than 1% variance between all those texts. If I had everybody in the room today to write down what happened yesterday here at our event, those of you that were here, we would have more than probably a 1% variance. I'm, I mean, because y'all are a bunch of liars. I mean, you know, teasing. It's a 99.5% record of, of being true to each copy of the document. Now, if you add in the, the other languages, Latin and Coptic and Aramaic languages, there are over 19,000 manuscripts, meaning we have 24,000 manuscripts that support the New Testament with the over 99% accuracy rate. Come on, can we give God thanks that we have a reliable source for God's Word? The Bible is not fake news. The resurrection is not a hoax. It is not fake news. Now, one of the questions that has stumped, stumped, skept, that's hard to say. <laughs> stumped skeptics. Y'all try that. That's harder than it actually says. Skunked those skeptics. <laughs> one of the questions that has stumped these skeptics through the years is what happened to the body of Jesus in the tomb. What, what happened? That there's really little argument that there is actually an empty tomb. Even, even those who disregard the Bible and disregard Christianity, they all agree for the most part that the tomb was empty because the body's not there. The bones are not there. There's no, there's nothing left. There's no remains. And so the empty tomb is, is pretty much a fact. But what happened to the body is what, is what the skeptics can agree on. That's where the debate, the, the debate becomes uh, in action there. So let me just show you a scripture to set up this morning as we walk through this passage together. Look at Matthew chapter 20. Jesus predicted his own death and he predicted his own resurrection. Let me read to you from Matthew 20, verse 17. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. Verse 18, he said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed. And the leading priest and the teachers of religious law, they will sentence him to die. And verse 19 says, They will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Jesus predicted his own death 
burial, and resurrection. Let me just make a statement to you this morning. Christianity would be completely abolished overnight if the resurrection were actually proven untrue. If you could disprove the resurrection overnight, Christianity, the millions and millions and millions of followers, we would cease to exist overnight if the resurrection is ever disproven. But it cannot happen. You cannot disprove it because it's not a hoax. It is history. So what evidence do we have concerning the death and burial and resurrection? And for those of you who like alliteration, how many of you like alliteration? Anybody in the house? This takes the cake. I believe this is the best alliteration that we've ever had in the history of all my sermons. Susan, do you like this? We're going to give you 10 reliable research rendering the resurrection is real. And for those of you who think researchers should be plural, it is not. That's the way it's supposed to be. I researched it, so Susan would be happy with me. There are ten reliable research rendering the resurrection is real. I don't think I will ever top that alliteration. But this is such a powerful thing to me. I learned things stunning through this, Pastor Rick, that I never knew, that I had never seen, that I had never thought about. And my prayer is today, when you leave, you will be so confident that the resurrection is history. It's not a hoax. It's not an April Fool's joke. It is life-changing. It is real. It has changed my life. And I believe when you leave today, you're going to have such a renewed sense of the of the, the price that was paid and the, the power that we have available to us. So we're going to track through these pretty quick. Won't spend much time on them, but we're going to walk through each one. Number one, the first reliable research that renders the resurrection is real. The thing that skunks those... Yeah, I was going to try to make a joke and I can't even do this. I'm going to stick to point one. Skeptics, there we go. This is my first time ever preaching, ladies and gentlemen. Number one was on the cross. This is proof on the cross. So when we read the account of the, the Gospels, the Bible says that a centurion was sent to make sure Jesus was actually dead. Now you may not know much about a Roman centurion, but he was a leader in the most powerful army in the world. He was a leader of a, a captain of a hundred men. And his job was to execute and make sure crucifixions were handled correctly. He had witnessed hundreds of crucifixions. And so the fact that the Roman governor sent out a centurion to verify Jesus was dead, his life depended on it. There were no mistakes. And so a centurion was there and he verified Jesus was dead. Secondly, they took the spear and they stuck it in the side of Jesus. And the Bible says blood and water flowed out. And if you know much about that from a medical standpoint, what would happen is the heart would begin to race and it would begin to try to pump blood and there wasn't enough blood in his body to pump. And so the kidneys would start shutting down to preserve fluid. Therefore, water and blood would gather around the heart. And as they pierced the side of Jesus, it went through his heart and his lungs and therefore blood and water flowed out, therefore proving death. So on the cross, we see that Jesus was dead. He wasn't just wounded. He wasn't, he couldn't get up and walk away from that. He was legitimately dead. That's one of the, the, the proofs that render the resurrection is real because you can't rise from the dead if you're not dead. Let's take a look at number two. What is the second piece of research that renders the resurrection is real? It is the tomb. Not only is this a uh, tomb, but it is a solid rock tomb. It is a tomb that has been built in the side of a mountain, and there is a two-ton stone up to 4,000 pounds that is placed at the entrance of the tomb. It would be physically impossible 
for someone inside the tomb to roll it back, especially after losing so much blood. Now, here's what would happen in my research that I've seen. So they would build these tombs kind of down on a slope and on a hill, and there would be a track that would be uh, developed and cut into, and the stone would actually roll down at a little bit of an incline. So three or four or five guys could come together, and, and they could roll the stone because they would actually roll the stone back up, and they would uh, do things into the body, and then at a certain point they would take the bones and they could potentially bear them other places. And so the stone was actually originally meant to be able to be moved up and down, so it's in a little bit of track. But I want to show you something here that maybe you've never seen. I, I did not know this. I'm sure I've heard it, but after I researched this, I did not know this. Look at John 20 and verse 1. I want you to see this. This is going to change your view of the resurrection. So it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Keep that up, Jared, if you can. Already taken away from the tomb. Now, a lot of translations do say rolled away, and I understand that, and there is an element of that. But John is an eyewitness, and he uses two very specific words here for taken away. Let me read them to you from my notes. This is what John says. He uses the word... Uh, to, to be taken away, and it actually means this. The stone was not just rolled away. It was actually taken to an entirely new area. There are two Greek words here that are used. One is ero. Ero in the Greek means to be lifted up or carried away. And then he uses the Greek word ek, which means to be out of place. So when you call it, when you put it together, ero ek means to be lifted up, carried away from the place that it was. Meaning this stone was no longer just in the track. It was actually completely moved away from the track, which men would have a very hard time doing. It would take 20 men, 20 plus men to move a stone of this size. So the stone was not just rolled away. It was in a totally new place. How I many know angels are strong enough to do that? In the Old Testament, one angel killed 180-something thousand plus men. One angel. How I many know that's not somebody you want to mess with? So the stone was not just rolled away. It was actually moved to a totally different place as per the eyewitness of John. Come on, can we give God thanks for the power of God this morning? So the stone, the tomb. Now here's something else that's interesting. Go back to the tomb, Jared. They would wrap the body in spices and then put a paste over that, and that, that paste would become hard within just a matter of hours, and it was sort of a mummification process, not, not to that extent, but it could be nearly up to a hundred pounds between the spices and the encasement. And if you are covered in that spice and you're wrapped in those grave clothes and you have been beat on the cross and you've been whipped and you've been, you've lost all this blood, there is no way that you could potentially break yourself out of that. 100 plus pound encasement. It's also physically impossible for someone inside the tomb to roll the stone away on their own because of the incline. It's absolutely impossible. Now let's look at number three. This, this gets even more interesting. So is the resurrection hoax or is it actual history? Number three, Jared, if you'll pull that up for me. There is a 16-man security guard detail placed at the tomb. 16 Roman soldiers were placed at the tomb. I mean, they were afraid of Jesus. He had done enough miracles. He had done enough things, and they had seen so many miraculous things. They knew, they knew either they, they, they didn't want the disciples to come and steal the body. The Roman soldiers here, if they actually fell asleep 
as it's reported, that's the story that went out. The disciples fell asleep and or the guards fell asleep and the disciples came and stole the body. They would be sentenced to death. There were no mistakes. They would never go to sleep. And would 16 men go to sleep? If I knew Pastor Michael would be killed if he fell asleep and I'm his companion and he starts nodding off, I'm going to elbow him. I'm going to wake him up. We're going to look out for one another. Because if they didn't know who fell asleep, if they wouldn't admit it, they would actually randomly pick someone and they would begin to kill people until someone admitted who fell asleep. So I'm not letting Patrick fall asleep. I'm not letting Tito fall asleep. They were awake. They were there. Sixteen men who were professionals. Now, why is this important? Because Jesus said, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be raised from the dead on the third day. So he's either Lord... He is either Lord of all or He's a lunatic and He's a liar. You can't be both. He either did what He said He did or He's a lunatic and I'm not serving a lunatic. Can I have an amen? Now look at number four. This is very interesting. So we have Jesus in the tomb. This this mega stone is there. So powerful. But not only did they put 16 guards there, but they went ahead and did another step and put a Roman seal on it. The Roman seal was the highest form of security of the day. We hear commercials today about certain companies that say, we'll protect your credit, we offer security, or get this home system, security system. There is nothing in that day that would be as secure as the Roman seal because whoever broke the Roman seal would be crucified. If I have a security system and you break in my house, you might just pay a fine. You might just spend a day or two in jail. If you broke the Roman seal, you would be put to death. Look at Matthew 27 and verse 66. They took so many steps to make sure the disciples couldn't steal the body. The Jewish leaders couldn't steal the body. The Roman government wouldn't even be able to steal the body. It says, And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, the 16-men guard, they set a seal on the stone. And history tells us that they would take this clay and they would, would attach it with ropes all over the stone and it would be bound to the rock and they would put this clay seal and they had a Roman stamp and they would put that on it and it was sealed shut. This heavy stone would have been plenty enough for the religious authorities, but they were so paranoid that a story might circulate about the resurrected Jesus because if there is no resurrected Jesus, there's no Christianity. The reason this is such a big deal is because it, Jesus said, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be, I'm going to build the temple back in three days. I'm going to rise again in three days. And they wanted to shut Jesus up. The reason the crucifixion happened was to silence Christianity. And it worked. All the disciples fled. Every one of them left. Christianity stopped the moment Jesus died, but it didn't stay. It didn't stay ceased. It didn't stay at a stop. It is now alive and well. And we're byproducts of that. Why? Because there's a resurrection. So they put the Roman seal on there. This gave extra measures to prevent the thief, the, 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 the thieves to, of stealing the body of Jesus. Now look at number five. I want you to see this one. The fifth reliable research that renders this resurrection is real, ladies and gentlemen. The numerous mentions in the New Testament. Remember, we have almost 6,000 Greek manuscripts, over 24,000 that actually support and document the New Testament. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you this, but we're not going to read this, so don't panic because we all have Easter dinner. But I just want to show you this just so you can get a visual of the death, burial, and resurrection in the New Testament. Go ahead, Jared. Next slide. Next slide. Next. Next. 
Next. I read all these. I have them all memorized. Praise God. I'm just teasing. Next. 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 That's it. There are numerous. You can go back to the title slide there. There are numerous mentions in the New Testament of the death and burial and resurrection. As a matter of fact, I want to shock you here. Are you ready? Your entire faith, your entire walk with God, your entire Christianity is based on one thing. Look at Romans 10 and verse 9. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you get saved? What, what is a Christian life about? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, He's not a liar, He's not a lunatic, He is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Say it with me. Everybody ready? You will be saved. There is no Christianity without a resurrection. We have no church today. We have no Easter event yesterday. There is no Christianity. It's the only religion that puts our hope and trust in a person who was dead and is now alive. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. It's not a hoax. And the numerous, numerous mentions in the New Testament. It's just one evidence that renders this resurrection. It is real. Now look at number six. This begins to really develop now into some things that are just outside of Sunday School 101, the tomb. and This takes you a step further. Number six, the, the sixth reliable research rendering the resurrection is real is this. There was an unrelenting faith to the disciples post-resurrection. Now they all ran. They all hid at the crucifixion. Many of them were not even there. I'm trying to remember the record. I know John was there, but, but I don't know that we have record of many other disciples being there. I'll have to look at that. But I know they all ran. They all fled. They all hid. Why? Because they were scared for their life. Because what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And there was a death warrant on them because they were spreading this message of Jesus and they were trying to stop it, trying to shut this up. But after the resurrection, these disciples were so bold they said, if you don't stop, we're going to kill you. Okay, kill me. Would you give your life for something that's a fake and a fraud? If you knew that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, would you give your life for that? No way. Jesus changed lives. He fulfilled prophecy. He said it over and over and over again. And so if the crucifixion and the death and burial and the resurrection, if the resurrection of Jesus hadn't happened and the Lord Jesus had not appeared to the disciples, they would have never have developed this boldness that they had. Look at Mark chapter 14. I want you to see this. This is kind of funny. This is kind of unique. And I think this is kind of interesting. Mark chapter 14. And look with me at verse 48. Mark 14, 48 says this. Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs? He's in the garden. He said, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me uh, as you would against a robber? Jesus is saying, you came with to me with all these swords and spears. Do you know that in the, the church history tells us there was nearly 800 men that came to get Jesus? Study it. Eight, almost 800 men came to get Jesus. Many of you didn't know that. We see cartoons and there's like two soldiers. Nearly 800 men. And Jesus said, I am He. And every one of them suckers fell to the ground. That's the power of God. Look at this. He said, every day I was with you in the temple teaching and you didn't seize me there. 
But this has taken place to fulfill the Scriptures. Now look at this in verse 50. They all left. They all left and fled. Now this I think is so funny because we're in the Gospel of Mark. And if you miss Wednesday nights here at Emmanuel, you're missing a great time in the Word. We're, we're taking the book of Mark, going through it verse by verse. We're now, I think, in our 60th message in the Gospel of Mark. We will finish before Jesus returns. Maybe. We're not sure. But it says they all left him. Now let me show you something. It's just, it's just interesting. Look at verse 51. And a young man who was actually, scholars tell us, John Mark. Because as if, ha- if this happened to you, you're not going to put your name in this. You're not going to say, hey, this was me. Look what happened. Um, a young man, possibly John Mark, the author of Mark, was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet, meaning he that sucker just got out of bed, heard the commotion, wanted to see what was going on, had just a linen sheet on, and it says this, over his naked body, and they seized him. They grabbed John Mark. Now look at verse 52. But he pulled free and the linen sheet and he escaped naked. <laughs> I wouldn't put my name on that either. Praise God. I'll have to tell you a little story. Uh, I probably won't, but I played, I, I played Jesus one time and I took it a little too serious and we'll just leave it at that. All right. I felt like John Mark. Praise the Lord. That was the only time they ever asked me to be Jesus. I don't know. I was just trying, I was just trying to be authentic. Praise God. So the disciples ran away and they left. Now, now on a, on a little more serious note, if we can, if we can even be more serious after that, pull up this next slide, Jared, about the martyrdom. So the disciples all left and fled, but something changed. Something gave these men the unction to die. They had families. They had friends. They had children. There's, I, I mean, there's, I can't think of anything right now other than the Lord Jesus that I would even come close to, to dying for. I love my family. I love my children. On the way to church today, I was just thinking how much I love my church family. I love every one of you so much. If I could give you all just a big high five, I would do it right now. Just thinking about that this morning. But something happened to Bartholomew Something was so real to him that he was beaten with rods, scourged, then beheaded. It was real. James, son of Alphas, was beaten, stoned, then clubbed to death. It was real. The same man, Andrew, who fled out of fear was crucified, but he was not crucified with nails. He was bound with ropes so it would take longer and the agony of the pain would be greater. Peter, crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified standing up like Jesus. Thomas was killed by being thrust with a spear. Something changed. Thomas doubted. Thomas said, I won't believe unless I see the, the hands in your uh, feet and the, hand, the holes in your hands. And Thomas knew. Thomas had put his finger in his pierced side and he said, you can go ahead and kill me. I'll never deny the resurrection because it's not a hoax. It's not an April Fool's joke. It is history and it is real. James, son of Zebedee, was executed with a sword. Look at the next screen. Philip was scourged, thrown into prison. Would he do that because of a lie? Because of a rumor? Well, the disciples stole the body. I'm not dying for a body that I stole. Matthew slain by a spear. Jude crucified. Simon crucified. Mathis, the disciple who took the place of Judas, stoned and beheaded. Stephen, stoned to death. James, the brother of Jesus, clubbed and then stoned to death. The unrelenting faith of the disciples after the resurrection is one of the biggest proofs that we have that it is 
history, not a hoax. This next one is even greater, and it's number seven. The seventh one is Jesus made numerous appearances to his followers. Look at this passage in John 21 and verse 1. Jesus made numerous appearances to his followers. For 40 days he was appearing and with them. The Bible says in John 21, 1, after these things Jesus manifested himself again to his disciples by the sea and he manifested himself in this way. Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 says this, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. This is Luke who did research, he studied this, and it says that Jesus appeared with many convincing proofs over a period of 40 days, speaking the things concerning the kingdom of God. Jesus made many appearances. At one time, he appeared to over 500 people. Well, it was just a hallucination. The disciples were so grieved and they were so broken that they were just hallucinating. 500 people at one time having the same hallucination? It's not possible. If you study the, the, the psychology be, behind hallucinations, it's always an inward thing. It's never an external thing. And it's never identical. Sabrina will never have the same hallucination as Kara. It's not possible. 500 people didn't hallucinate. What did they see? The risen Lord. Now let's look at number eight. The eighth reliable research renders the resurrection real. This one right here is the most overlooked, but I think it's the most powerful. Matter of fact, if I just had to pick one, I would probably honestly pick this one. And it's hardly ever talked about. Jesus' own family did not believe in Him before the crucifixion and resurrection. They didn't believe in Him. Because He's just Jesus. They remember Him spilling grape juice. And they remember Him pooping in His diaper. And they, they remember Jesus as a man. They did not believe. Look what the Bible declares here in John chapter 7 and verse 5. Look what the Scripture says. For not even his brothers were believing in him. They were embarrassed. They were trying to calm him down. They were trying to rein him in. And Jesus kind of scolded them after time and time again and said, he basically said, who is my mother and who is my father? They were saying, Jesus, you're making a ruckus. They were embarrassed. They did not even believe. But now notice this in 1 Corinthians 15. This to me is amazing. Because you know family. You know family, right? You know what family does when nobody's looking? You know what kind of attitude they have when nobody's around? Oh, it's quiet in this church today. I'm not talking about your family. Look at this, Pastor Rick. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 6. After then, after the resurrection, after He appeared, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, many of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Now look at verse 7. Look how important this is. This is so important that the Apostle Paul makes specific mention of this. This is so important to the proof of the resurrection that it gets its own Bible verse. Then, as I lost the paper, then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. Which James? James, the half-brother of Jesus. Half-brother because they had the same mama, but Jesus had a different daddy, amen? The Holy Spirit. This is so important that it is noted in its own Scripture. It's, imagine all the things that happened and everything that was narrowed down, not put in the Bible. But this made the Bible? He appeared to James, the brother of Jesus. This is why. Look at James chapter 2 and verse 1. Get ready. Get your shouting shoes on. This is going to help you this morning. James chapter 2 and verse 1. Look at this. 
This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He's writing this letter to the church in Jerusalem. Why is he writing a letter? Because he's a pastor. Where's he a pastor? In Jerusalem. What's the most dangerous city in the world to be a Christian? Jerusalem. Look what James said. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to believers and he says, you believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. What would take Jesus from being rejected and scorned and an embarrassment to being the the glorious Lord Jesus? It's only the resurrection. It's only the resurrection that his brother would now say, this is the glorious Lord Jesus. Jesus. The the word glorious is the word doxa. You've heard doxology. Listen what it means. It means kingly majesty. I would never call my brother kingly majesty unless he rose from the dead. Can I have an amen? Listen what doxa means. The glorious, it means majesty and splendor and brightness. It means magnificence, excellence, dignity, preeminence. James knew the man he grew up with. His brother. And he didn't believe. But after the resurrection, after the empty tomb, he believed and now he said the glorious, the kingly, the preeminence. And he went on to be a pastor. He gave his life. He died. He was clubbed and then stoned. Not because of a fake, not because of a hoax, but because it is real. Isn't that powerful? Look at this in Galatians 1.19. This is such a big deal that it gets another Bible verse. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 19. Paul wrote, I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. There is proof in the resurrection because Jesus' family, they were all in the upper room. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And he went on to be one of the greatest pastors in the church of Jerusalem. Can we give God thanks for the resurrection this morning? Yeah, give God praise. Amen. Number nine. Is this helping anybody? Man, this has just lit my candle all over again. Thank you. I just just came up with that. Number nine. The, the, the ninth reliable research that renders the resurrection is real, not a hoax. It is history. Was the explosive growth of the Christian faith. Acts chapter 2, 3,000 born again. 5,000 on one day. All over the world, millions and millions and millions of people have put their hope in a risen Savior. The supernatural preserving and explosion of the Christian church is a proof of the resurrection. Last one as we get ready to land this plane today. Number 10 is the testimony. The 10th proof here is the testimony of hundreds of millions of transformed lives throughout history. How many of you in this room today say, Jerry, do you have number 10? How many of you in this uh, room today say, I've been changed by the resurrection. I've been changed by Jesus. The proof and the testimony of, of hundreds of millions of transformed lives through the centuries show the power of the resurrection. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 9. Let me just read it. It says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember your family believers all over the world, all over the world, they're going through the same kind of suffering. So the fact that this Christian message of the resurrection has exploded throughout the entire world is proof of the resurrection. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus put a lot of emphasis on the resurrection. Jesus put a lot of emphasis on this teaching. 
Everything he taught depended on the empty tomb. Christianity would be abolished today if it were disproven. So how many of you say, man, I believe in this resurrection is real. But I have to tell you something else. I have to warn you. I have to tell you this. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 6, if we can pull that up. Hebrews chapter 6. If the resurrection of Jesus is real, and it is, there's also another resurrection that I have to tell you about. Everyone in this room will be resurrected. Everyone in the room. Your body will be resurrected, either to life, or as the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 6, Therefore let us move beyond elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, but let's move into faith in God. Now look at verse 2. If you can pull that up, let's check out verse 2. Verse 2 says this, Instructions about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. The resurrection of the dead is one of the cardinal doctrines of the church. Not only is there a resurrection to life, we sang about it this morning, the resurrecting King is resurrecting me. Yes, we sang about it. Thank God. But if you are not a believer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will be resurrected to eternal judgment. If it's true, then it's all true. Look at Revelation 20 and verse 4. Revelation 20 says this, John, the, the, the beloved apostle of Jesus, has this vision from heaven. It says, I saw thrones and the, the people sitting on them had been given authority to judge. And as I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus, they were proclaiming the word of God. And it says they, were, they did not worship the beast or his statue. They did not accept his mark on their forehead or their hands. They all came to life again. This is believers in Christ. They all came to life again. They reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Look at verse 5. This is the first resurrection. Jesus was the firstborn resurrected. The first man to be risen. But we're all going to rise. And when you believe in Jesus, you are resurrected with Him at the end of the age. You get a new glorified body. I can't wait for a glorified body. Won't hurt, won't gain weight, won't get old, won't get wrinkled. Praise God. So we get a glorified new body. We're resurrected with Christ. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Next week, you've got to come back because we're going to talk about rising with the resurrection. What does a resurrection do in your life? How can you apply it in your life? How can it change your life? How can your life rise because of the resurrection? But I've got to tell you about one more verse in Revelation 20. I have to tell you about verse 11. He also saw a great white throne and one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from His presence. But they found no place to hide. Go to the next one. Look at verse 12. Do we have verse 12? I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And it says, The dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Look at verse 13. The sea gave up their dead. They were resurrected. We think resurrection is a good thing and a happy thing and a positive thing, and it is for those who believe in Christ. Remember Romans 10.9, if you believe God raised Jesus from the dead, that's your ticket to eternal life. But for those that don't, this is why we do Easter outreaches, ladies and gentlemen. We didn't just need a science club up here yesterday. We believe in the resurrection. That's why we do events. That's why we do things. That's why we do door-to-door posters. 
because of this verse right here. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and they were all judged according to their deeds. Look at verse 14. Then death and, and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is a second resurrection and a second death. Now notice this last verse in verse 15. I'm not trying to scare you, but do you know what message the apostles preached? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you know they preached this? Notice this here. If anyone whose name was not recorded in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I'm going to be resurrected to live with Jesus forever. But friends, there's a lot of people out there that don't know the resurrection that I know. They're going to be resurrected because it's real. And if it happened, it's all true. Your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends, camp, the campus, UT campus, they're all going to be resurrected. But it might be to the lake of fire. And friends, the world says this is a hoax. The world says this is an April Fool's joke. But it is so real and it is so alive. That's why we exist as a church. That's why we exist. And it's because of what Jesus did for us. Now I want to show you a, a video, but I want to give a warning. It is a little graphic. So if you have any children in here, I want to give you a minute to ask them to leave. Because we, we just think, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross. And, and we just we don't really understand the price He paid. God says, I'm going to judge sin. And God poured His judgment on Jesus. And we, if we will accept Jesus, we don't have to experience the judgment of sin. We don't have to experience the resurrection to eternal judgment. Watch this short video that will give you some new insight on maybe what Jesus did on the cross. I want that worship team to come up afterwards. Crucifixion was one of the most dreaded and painful forms of execution in ancient times. Thousands of crucifixions were performed by the Romans, the most famous of course being Jesus Christ. Yet because almost all depictions of Jesus on the cross were painted centuries later, our image of the death of Christ is in many ways incorrect. Understanding Jesus' death, though gruesome and painful in nature, can help us better understand the incredible love that the Savior has for us because of what He was willing to endure. Crucifixion was often first preceded with the painful process of flogging or scourging, as is the case of Jesus. The scourging was done to physically weaken the condemned person, accentuating the already painful process of crucifixion. The whip or flagrum was made of strips of leather fastened to a handle, with broken glass, nails, bone, and lead weights fastened to the end of the strips. The flagrum was designed to rip through the flesh, tearing skin and muscle from the bone. The powerful symbol of the sacrament bread, which represents Christ's flesh being torn apart, is an apt reminder of the scourging that Jesus endured on our behalf. Once flogged, the convicted person was made to carry his own cross through the city till they arrived at the place of execution. Unlike most depictions showing Jesus carrying an entire cross, the condemned man instead would actually only carry the cross piece. This was because of the incredible weight of a full cross, and because wood was such a scarce resource, 
that it was common to use an already existing tree or permanent post as the base of the cross. The fact that Jesus may have been crucified on a living tree brings beauty to the title of Jesus as the tree of life. The Gospels tell us that Jesus was crucified at a place called Golgotha, from the Hebrew word meaning skull, most likely referring to a knoll or small hill, shaped like a bare skull. Hanging on the cross, the victim would be forced to stand upon these nails driven through his ankles, alternating with holding his weight up through his outstretched, nailed hands. This process was made all the more painful as the torn flesh on the back from scourging would be pressed to the cross as they alternated between hanging from their hands and standing on their feet. It was common for victims to survive for several days on the cross before dying, making Jesus' death after only a few hours very unusual. It is believed that the victim died from asphyxiation or in other words, the lack of air, caused from the sheer exhaustion of hanging on the cross. The willingness for Jesus to die on the cross for us in such a painful and agonizing way teaches us of his incredible love. Jesus could have been killed by stoning or by one of many other ways, but he instead chose to be crucified. He submitted to the most heinous and dreaded forms of death, so that he could understand and succor his people. Because of this, none of us can claim that Jesus cannot fathom our sorrows, anguish, and pains, for he has endured all things. Truly, as Isaiah so prophetically stated, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, we are healed. Amen. Let's pray together as the worship team comes. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you that we now have a way to escape being resurrected.